Happy New Year. Welcome to the first days of what could be your best year ever in your pursuit of God. This is the time to set your mind on things above, to focus your heart on deepening your spiritual rhythms. You know you want to. That's why you're here after all. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the pastoral team here at Dayspring. Our team is standing by, waiting to help you discover the best path forward to deepening your spiritual roots. Whether you are here in the room or watching online, live or on demand at some point in the future. If you are visiting today, we want you to know that this is the kind of family that will enthusiastically welcome you as you are, with all of your questions and doubts, with all of your struggles and brokenness. Here, you can discover Jesus, find healing, and a community who will love you enough to spur you on to emotionally and spiritually healthy living. That's the journey we're on, too. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find study questions by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Didi and I celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary in December. And thank you. I think both of us, no, I know both of us would tell you that we have really had a good 28 years together. We still love each other, so we must be doing something right, right? (laughs) We don't really fight much. Uh, We never really have fought much. I don't think I can think of a fight that we've had for at least a decade. But don't think for a moment that that means we agree on everything. We don't. After all, she is a woman, and I am a man, and we tend to see the world a little differently just because of our genders. But nowadays, I just irritate her every now and then. We don't fight about it. It was a little different early on in our marriage. I was your classic stuffer. She was your classic exploder, which means that when I got my feelings hurt or I got offended, I wrote up a hurt feelings report. And instead of giving it to her, I filed it away in triplicate for someday. She, on the other hand, would just give me the what for in the moment. Now, eventually, my filing cabinet of hurt feelings reports couldn't hold one more thing. So the next time we experienced conflict, Uh, I would throw every hurt feelings report at her at the same time. And all of a sudden, we weren't squabbling about that stupid thing that had just happened. We were just at war, refighting every fight we'd had since the last time I decided to empty the filing cabinet. I believed a lie. A lie that we'll explore today as we continue in our series, Lies We Believe and the Truth That Sets Us Free. We're surrounded by lies on every side, a veritable sea of lies, a cornucopia, if you will. From birth, we are indoctrinated by lies designed to halt the advance of God's work in this world. It hasn't always been this way. In the beginning, the world was perfectly holy. 
spinning on its axis exactly as God intended until one little lie broke it. And since that one fateful moment when Adam and Eve decided to disobey God and believe the first lie ever told on earth, this world has been the domain of the liar, Satan himself. Uh, as we, in, in him, as we learned last week, there is no truth. He is the father of lies. And the sole purpose of his existence at this point of time is to battle the advance of God's kingdom in this world at large and in our lives as image bearers of Christ. And most Christ followers, most of us, most of the time, just live life unaware of the lies and how they are impacting our lives. But they do. Those lies do damage. They damage the way we see ourselves. They damage the way we view others. They damage our view of God and life itself. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been tempted to sin? It's okay to raise your hands with this one. This is generic, uh, so you can raise it if you want. You're not, a, you're not confessing to anything here. We all deal with temptation. Galatians 5.1 tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But in that moment of temptation, what seems like freedom? The sin. That's the lie Satan has so skillfully woven as he's twisted scripture. Freedom is being able to do what I want, when I want, with no limits. Not being able to do that thing, whatever our temptation is, is bondage. And that changes how we see God and experience the Christian life. And when we actually buy into the lie and sin, how we see ourselves. Damage. So we want to learn how to recognize the lies, which is why we're talking about this at all. But even more than that, we want to allow the truth to saturate our minds. Because there is very little power in knowing the lie. The, the power for Christ followers is found in the truth. It is the truth that sets us free. It is the truth that helps us recognize and combat the lies. So as Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, we will fix our thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. We will fix our thoughts on things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's these things that guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as Paul says just a few words before these. Two more things before we power through some of the lies we believe about ourselves and get to the truth. Uh, first, there are more lies than we could ever talk about. Each week, we're going to look at the most common and most destructive ones, as highlighted by Chris Thurman in his book, The Lies We Believe. We're, we're using his book as the basis for this series. And as a psychologist, he's done the work to understand which lies damage us the most. But Satan is good at what he does. He's been doing it for a long time. And as we look at the lies, you might think, well, I don't have a problem with that one. And that might be true. But I want to encourage you to dig beneath the surface to see if he might have twisted even that lie to your specific situation and personality. If you don't get stuck on my actual words, 
you might find that you ha really have been impacted by the, a derivative lie. And then also, in total, we're going to be looking at 13 truths that expose and combat these lies. There are also more truths, but these truths give us the most bang for our buck. Uh, each week, uh, the lies we expose might not relate to the specific truth that we'll explore that week, which is because the enemy of our souls and, and minds is crafty, and he weaves the lies in and out of the truths, trying to mask them so we don't even notice them, and making them harder to unravel. Uh, the more truth we set our minds to, the more power we have them to identify and unravel the lies from our thinking. So let's look at five lies we believe about ourselves. First up, it's not okay to be human and make mistakes. It's not okay to be human and make mistakes. Any perfectionists in the room? This one's for you. Uh, let's start here. What is perfectionism? What are the characteristics of a perfectionist? Uh, Dr. David Burns, a leading psychiatrist and leading expert on this subject, says, I do not mean the healthy pursuit of excellence by men and women who take genuine pleasure in striving to meet high standards. Without concern for quality, life would seem shallow and true accomplishments would be rare. The perfectionists I am talking about are those whose standards are high beyond reach or reason. People who strain compulsively and unremittingly toward impossible goals and who measure their own worth entirely in terms of productivity and accomplishments. Now, most perfectionists I know, and believe me, uh, though I won't mention any names, I know more than a few, uh, most of them are in denial and would say, well, that's not me. I'm just going for excellence. So uh, to help you be a little more honest with yourself, what goes through your mind when you make a mistake? Or when someone else makes a mistake? Or when something you've been working on, a project uh, at work, or, a pro or even a home project that doesn't turn out exactly like you hoped. Or maybe you don't even try something because it won't be perfect the first time you do it. There's no room for a learning curve. If you beat yourself uh, or others up over mistakes, even if it's only in your head, this is probably you. Uh, we're going to talk uh, more about this one a little when we get to our first truth today, so I'll leave it there for now. But truth is, we all make mistakes all of the time because we aren't perfect like God. So stop trying to be something you're not. The second lie we believe about ourselves is that my worth is determined by how I perform. My worth is determined by how I perform. If you feel good about yourself when you are doing something well, your job, your finances, parenting, but bad about yourself when you aren't performing or contributing the way you think you should be or <clears throat> others might expect you to be, then this one might be for you. Moms, how many of you have some of your self-worth tied up in the way your kids behave? In your mind, when they are good, you aren't a bad mom. Uh, but when they are bad, you are a failure. Uh, is your worth as a mom tied into the performance of your product? Or you get to the end of the day and think, I didn't get anything done today. The laundry, dinner on the table at five, the dishes, because all I did was chase kids. 
I have a good, I have a good friend who works more than he should. Yes, he has a demanding job. But part of his motivation behind the extra hours is the feeling that he has to contribute at a certain level to earn his keep, so to speak. The world is obsessed with performance. In our culture, the people with the most worth or success are those who have fame, money, and power. Bigger houses, nicer neighborhoods, better cars, more followers on uh, social media. Social media is a trap that it keeps especially younger people in bondage. How many people liked my post? Was it more than last time? More than that other person's? Like all of these things make us more competitive, ever reaching for the elusive more and creates a sense of worthlessness when you don't measure up. But what is the basis for human worth? Genesis 1.26 tells us that we are made in God's image. Psalm 134 39.14 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. This is true for every person, not just Christ followers. We have full, complete, permanent worth because God's word says it's true. We'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. The third lie we believe about ourselves is I must have everyone's love and approval. I must have everyone's love and approval. People pleasers unite. Don't leave me hanging here alone. Come on. I need to know you agree with me. I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> I, I've talked about this lots in my life. I, I used to think I had to earn love, which made me a people pleaser. It's hard for people pleasers to be authentic people. Because if you let yourself, uh, if you let yourself be who you are and someone disapproves, you get all messed up inside. People pleasers can't stand the thought of being misunderstood, can't stand the thought that you might be angry or upset with them. In lots of cases, people pleasers give up something they want in order to gain approval from someone else. They might not be my friend anymore. People pleasers say yes when they should say no. We'll talk about some more, this one some more in uh, just a minute. So let's move on to the fourth lie we believe about ourselves. It's easier to avoid my problems than face them. It's easier to avoid my problems than face them. Now, this one is all mine. This is the lie that got between me and Dee Dee early on in our marriage. A anybody else hate confrontation? Anyone? If you don't hate confrontation, you're in bondage to some other lie. I I'm sure of it. And I'm not afraid to tell you that to your face, but don't hate me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Do you get that pit? in your stomach when you have to have a hard conversation with someone, so you put it off as long as you can. Maybe they'll address the elephant in the room so you don't have to. Maybe the problem will just go away. But don't stop your thinking with people problems. They aren't the only way that we avoid our, our problems rather than face them. Any procrastinators in the room? How many times have you put off starting a project because it was just too overwhelming? And then you end up cramming it all in in the last moments, or you just miss the deadline completely. I don't know about you, but when Didi and I have a hard month financially, I put off balancing the checkbook so I don't have to face reality. It's easier to, av to avoid the problems than face them. Denial may not be just a river in Egypt, but then again, ignorance is bliss. In Psalm 32, David wrote about what avoiding did to his spirit. 
Uh, he avoided facing his secret, his, uh, his sin with Bathsheba and the resulting cover-up and murder of Uriah for more than a year before God exposed it through the prophet Nathan. In Psalm 32, he writes, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away, and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. It sounds like, like a truth might be found in facing our problems. Avoidance is pretty costly. And the reality is, you suffer either way. It costs you something to face your problems now, for sure. But it will cost you that, and then some, after you've paid the price of wasting away and groaning and experiencing God's discipline. So do you want to pay the cost, or do you want to pay the cost with interest? Your choice. Either way, you will pay the cost. So in the end, it's better to face your problems than avoid them. And then the fifth lie that we believe about ourselves is that my unhappiness, my unhappiness is externally caused. Have you ever thought something like, he made me so mad, or she really hurt my feelings? The, the problem with statements like these is not the strong emotion or reaction. Sometimes we should have a strong emotion uh, and reaction. The problem is blaming our reactions on others. We get triggered all the time by external events, but those events are just that. They're triggers. Someone cutting you off on the freeway is a trigger event, and you might get mad at them about it. But the cutting off is only the trigger. They didn't make you get mad. You chose to get mad. You chose to let them make you unhappy. Most of us go through life viewing the event as the cause of what we feel and not the trigger. You are the only person who can choose your attitude, your mindset. You are the only one who can choose how you respond. But when you allow someone else to determine your response, you end up becoming a bitter, resentful victim. Before Christmas, the Olsen family had a chance to visit Poland. While they were there, they visited Auschwitz and Birkenau, two of the death camps run by the Nazis in World War II. Craig and Jen told me, it didn't take too many steps once inside the gate to feel this sense of dread and sadness. And then, as we walked around and saw the mounds of shoes, clothes, personal belongings, and hair that once belonged to the prisoners, this overwhelming feeling of anger and utter disgust uh, in the human race washed over me. To see firsthand the evil that can exist within the human heart literally takes your breath away and brings you to tears. Most of us couldn't imagine worse circumstances to find yourself in. And if ever there were a reason to blame someone else for what you were feeling, surely that would be it. Viktor Frankl, a Swiss psychiatrist, was held prisoner in three Nazi Germany concentration camps. He saw the worst of the worst, but he remembered well the men who walked through camp comforting others, giving away their last piece of bread. Though they may have been few, they were proof that you can take everything away from man but one thing, the freedom to choose one's attitude. 
Unhappiness is an inside choice, not an external circumstance. You are the only person in charge of your happiness, not that jerk who just cut you off on the freeway, or your boss who has unrealistic expectations, or your spouse who, who didn't take out the garbage. Each of these five lies is but a scratch on the surface, but each one illustrates the cost of believing lies. The lie of perfection leads to shame and condemnation when we miss the mark. The lie that our worth lies in our performance leads to anxiety about how poorly or how well we are doing, making us feel worthless or superior to others. The lie of approval leads us, uh, leads us to people-pleasing, even at the cost of our own integrity and self. The lie that it is easier to avoid problems than face them head-on leads to putting off difficult things until they are bigger and out of control and Finally, the lie that our unhappiness is caused by external circumstances leads us to view others as, view ourselves as victims uh, who have no control over how we respond. Now, do you see yourself in any of these? Again, you, you might need some thoughtful prayer and help from the Holy Spirit to see which lie or lies has damaged you. But each lie also illustrates how the enemy wants you to see yourself and your life as so much less than what God meant for it to be. So what is the truth? Our first truth today is to err is human. To err is human. When I first came to Dayspring, our worship team rehearsals on Thursdays were torture. When I, when I, while I was getting up to speed, we just continued to let the people run rehearsals who had been running the rehearsals. And they were perfectionists. Oftentimes, a rehearsal that should have run no more than two hours ran an hour or more longer. The team would be running through a song, and if the drummer, for example, messed up the rhythm on a section of the song, they'd stop, practice that section over and over and over, and then do the whole song again a couple more times. And heaven forbid the, if the drummer messed it up again during one of those run-throughs. That would just prolong the torture. What's funny is that most people couldn't tell the difference between the perfect and the mistake. So why all the fuss? Uh, the only thing that was really accomplished during those rehearsals was making the drummer feel bad because he couldn't drum as well as a recording done by professionals in the studio who had hours and hours and hours to get it right and editors to fix it when it wasn't. Talk about hurt feelings reports. Uh, let me tell you what perfectionism is. Listen closely to this. Perfectionism is the prideful desire to be God. Let that sink in. When we demand perfection, we are buying into the lie that human beings can and should be God's equal. Somewhere we're buying into the lie, to Satan's lie, to Adam and Eve, that you will be like God. Yikes. Perfectionism says that we can know everything, like God. Perfectionism says that we are all powerful, like God, able to control everything. And perfectionism says that we can do everything like God. Here's a, a deep theological statement for you. Only God is God. Romans 3.23 says, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. 
Now, we haven't fallen just a little short of God's glorious standard. We are miles away in every part of our lives, even the good stuff, even our perfect. The theological root of perfectionism is our struggle to accept that there is only one God, and we are not Him. Listen, God doesn't need your perfect to accomplish His purposes. His perfect plan has already accounted for your imperfections. Perfectionists think about this. Do you ever feel unworthy because of your mess-ups? Like God is disappointed in you because you didn't hit the mark, whatever the mark is to you. You sinned again. He doesn't think that way. His expectations for you are realistic. He knows you are human more than you do. And that applies to every area of your life. And make no mistake about it, every area of your life is spiritual. I mean, if you want proof, look at the Apostle Peter. Every now and then, Peter would hit the nail on the head and get it right. Like when he proclaimed in Matthew chapter 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Nailed that one. But most of the time, Peter's faults were just hanging out there for everyone to see. He's the one who denied Christ, even knowing Christ, three times. Just a few verses later in Matthew 16, he had the audacity to rebuke Jesus. He fell asleep when Jesus asked him and the other disciples to pray on Jesus' most emotionally challenging night, the night before he was arrested and, and crucified. Peter cut off the ear of the servant when Jesus was arrested. And let's be honest, he was probably aiming for the head, but he was a fisherman after all, not a soldier. All of that imperfection, and yet, Jesus didn't take it personally. He didn't walk away from Peter like Peter had essentially walked away from him. Now, what did he do? He founded his church through Peter. Now, God doesn't ask for perfect. He asks for excellent. But wait, you say. What about Matthew chapter 5, verse 48? Now, this is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it says, Jesus is saying this, but you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, in these words, Christ isn't actually calling us to be perfect. He is simply setting the bar for how we should love our enemies. He knows we can't possibly achieve it, but he sets it there so that we'll keep moving in that direction. Keep moving in the direction of perfect love for your enemies like God does. God calls all of his followers to live a life of excellence, not perfection. Now, here's how I've come to understand excellence. Before I was hired at Dayspring, I was hired to be the general manager of the auditing division of what would become a multi-billion dollar naturopathic pharmaceutical company. The owner came from a very wealthy family. At the time, they owned four city blocks of downtown Portland. They had streets named after them. Every pair of Doc Martens that came into the U.S. came through them. When the owner's father died, they found $30 million in original stock certificates for blue chip companies under the bed that nobody knew they owned. They knew how to make money, and he was going to pay me very well to work for him. One day, I was meeting with him in a restaurant that he owned on Barber Boulevard, and he said, Chris, when you are auditing for me, I need you to understand that I never want to go higher than 
Hmm. 70% means that seven out of every 10 pill bottles has the correct number of pills. Seven out of every 10 pills themselves are manufactured correctly, and so on and so forth. And you could see the confusion on my face. And he said, Chris, I can see that you don't understand. Here's the deal. At 70%, we can pay to fix the problems the other 30% cause us and still make money as a company. But at 80%, we'll lose money as a company, which means there wouldn't be a company for long. Well, I took a job at Dayspring, very high-paying job at Dayspring, and forgot it for a while until those pesky rehearsals just went on and on and on. And I realized that on a scale of 1 to 10, though you are a fantastic audience, on a scale of 1 to 10, most people listen at a 3 to 4. So if we hit a 7, we're still outperforming what people, per, people expect and having fun in the process. But at 80%, worship becomes work. And I don't believe that that's what it should be like. At 70%, Jesus promised that his yoke is easy and his burden is light is true. At 80%, it isn't easy or light. So for me, 70% has become excellent. It is my best at any given time. It might not be the best. In fact, it's probably not the best. I'm sure it's not. But it is a realistic number to achieve, and it leaves room for faith that God is enough for the rest. 70% leaves 30% of the space for God to show up and do his thing. And I always want God involved in my equations. And really, what is 100% anyway? Most of the time, that's pretty subjective. Uh, what I think is perfect is different than what you think is perfect in most things. In music, we call mistakes jazz. <laughs> Imagine if we only had perfect music. We'd miss the great Ella Fitzgerald or Louis Armstrong. They've made the world a better place. So what's your 70%? Figure that out and you'll find excellence. Moving on to our second truth of the day. You can't please everyone. You can't please everyone. Now, I have to admit, I'm a, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I still like to please people, but I've grown. Now I am motivated to please people when I can for the pleasure of my king, not for approval from people. Because I believe that when we bless, that we bless God when we bless other people in healthy ways. But approval from man isn't always possible. When I first came to Dayspring, we had four services on a weekend and one on Wednesday. And they took their toll. My voice was exhausted and raspy by the end of that fourth service. My in-laws, wanting to make sure that we never had to move back in with them, offered to pay for voice lessons, which I accepted. And over the course of the next few months, as I learned how to sing correctly, everybody could hear the difference in my voice. I heard comment after comment each weekend. I was, I was just happy to still have a voice after singing for services. It was very encouraging. I knew I was on the right track 
until the day Michael walked up to me after a service. I was standing back at the soundboard, and he looked me in the eye, and he said, this is no joke, this really happened, he said, I hate the way you sing now. With that tone of voice, (laughs) I was able to look at him and say, I'm sorry, and it didn't ruin my day. Before, it would have wrecked me. Now, I laugh at it. It makes a great story. We all have a God-given need for approval. We just get mixed up on who we need approval from. In the end, approval becomes our God. We don't emotionally develop as we are supposed to and can end up struggling with an unhealthy need for attention and acceptance. Very quickly, here are some characteristics of people-pleasers. There are more than we're going to talk about, so don't think you're off the hook if I don't nail your quirks. But as I talk, see if you can see yourself in any of these. First, pleasers rarely say no. And on the rare occasions they do, they are saddled with guilt. Pleasers often find themselves saying yes to unrealistic and, and selfish requests or demands from others. Second, pleasers pretend to agree with everyone. They nod their heads and at what someone else might be saying, even if they disagree on the inside. They don't express their true opinion because they don't, they don't want to upset the other person. A pleasers also go to great lengths to avoid conflict. In the church world, they'll even go so far as to change churches if they need to. They just stuff their true feelings and keep the peace at any cost. Pleasers also fear negative emotions in others. They don't want others angry or disappointed in them, even when they didn't do anything wrong. Have you ever not shared your faith with someone because you feared how they might respond? Isn't that people-pleasing? I think we've all done that. Pleasers also feel responsible for how others feel. And if they feel like it's their fault for making you angry, they'll feel like it's their responsibility to make you happy again. They also act like those around them. Have you ever had a conversation with your teenager? This one, uh, if everyone jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? I think every parent of teenagers had that conversation at some point. People pleasers are social chameleons because of their desire to fit in. They also hate to admit when their feelings are hurt. Like me, they just file their hurt feelings reports internally and keep their feelings to themselves. Pleasers can also be easily impressed. Something uh, something makes them vulnerable to the charms of narcissists who come along and portray themselves as special or unique. Pleasers tend to over-explain, even if no explanation is being sought. No, all by itself, is a complete sentence. But pleasers can't stop there. They've got to convince you that it's okay for them to say no. Uh, Pleasers often need external praise to feel good because they're looking to others for approval. They need that external validation to determine how they feel about themselves and their decisions. And then last... Pleasers apologize too often, even when they haven't done anything wrong. But they can't stand to let you down, making you disapprove of them. 
Now, I'm pretty sure we all have a little people pleaser in us. It's just a question of how much. Look at Pontius Pilate. He was the man in charge, governor of Judea, Samaria, and Idumea, under the Roman Empire Tiberius. His primary job was to maintain law and order. He had the reputation for being cruel, hot-headed, and willing to do anything to keep the people in line, including having them executed. But look what happened when Jesus came before him. Torn between upholding the interests of Rome and keeping the Jews happy, he found Christ innocent. And yet, to please the people, allowed a convict, a, a convicted criminal to go free and had Jesus executed brutally. As Christ followers, there is only one person that we are supposed to please, God himself. And while Jesus himself is the ultimate example of living and dying for an audience of one, the Apostle Paul wasn't too shabby in that department either. Uh, he wrote this to the churches in Galatia, in Galatians chapter 1. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I wouldn't be Christ's servant. And if anybody had any reason to, to try to please people, uh, to get out of being beaten and stoned and everything else that he had to experience, it was Paul. But he was aiming to please the one, the audience of one. Now we walk a fine line here. We're called to love God by the way we love others. Blessing others usually leads to blessing God. But Jesus, who clearly managed this tension perfectly, didn't always give people what they wanted, but he always gave them what they needed. That's what love does. It gives others what they need, even if what they really need is in conflict with what they want. So it really uh, comes down to what motivates you. Are you pleasing God or man? Where do you look for approval? As Chris Thurman says in his book, we need to get more comfortable with people's being upset with us. Stop, uh, stop taking responsibility for the feelings others have and avoid acting like the crowd unless it's a spiritually and psychologically healthy crowd. We need to aim to live like Christ who understood that it's better to be hated for who you are than loved for who you're not. Before we pray, let's bring this back around. This week, as you pray through the five lies that we've explored today, as you do, pray that God would expose the areas of your life where you've believed these lies. And then, consider our two truths. With each one, what is one thing you could do to move toward the perfection Jesus talks about? Which aspects of each truth do you need to embrace in order to become more like Jesus? and help you recognize the lies that are sure to come your way. Let's pray. Uh, Father, it would be so much easier if you had just zapped the serpent in the garden. <laughs> it would make our lives so much easier not to have to sift through the lies. And yet, at some level, you've decided that the best way to make us like Jesus 
is to have to do just that. Father, our prayer is that the truth would saturate our hearts and our minds and would just not leave any room for lies. We invite you to bring revelation to our minds about uh, the areas that we need to correct. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you, people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is proof of God's work in your life. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. This is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. Also, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. It means a lot to me when you pass on the good news of Jesus to your friends and family. Until next week, may you experience God's favor and blessing in your life.